0: Oh, that's just great!
1: <laughs> Hello, everyone. I was making sure I had no, nothing going on so I wouldn't have echo, and all of a sudden that started. Anyway, welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. If you have any questions or comments for our panelists today, you can text them in the in the chat window, or if you would like to suggest a topic for a future live stream discussion, please do that. And you can go to biblequest.org at any time. <laughs> and click the contact us button. And there you can suggest a topic, but for right now we're streaming live on YouTube and I hope you'll join the conversation. And with all of that said, let me turn the program over to you. Chase Byers, how you doing? Hey, Drew. Thanks for, uh, thanks for getting us started there. So today it's just me and Joe. Joe, how you doing today? I am great, Chase, glad that you were, uh, you know, just committed enough to, to, to join and to, to lead this study. Yeah, I mean, I love basketball and sports as much as the next guy. But, uh, you know, this kind of thing just takes priority every time. And so yeah, uh, we're missing Jeff today. Um, he chose to play or watch basketball, one or the other. I can't remember. Um, so he's not on today. No, we're, we're kidding him. He's uh, he's watching his granddaughter play uh, her last basketball game of the season this year. And so we're grateful he's getting to do that. He'll be back with us next week. And so we decided to do a topic that... Uh, Jeff um, was initially nervous about us doing um, so we hope there's some interest on this we're going to be looking at the last five chapters of the book of Judges and uh, Jeff didn't give us a hard time because he doesn't like those five chapters um, but because they are some more difficult chapters and as we talk about this being Bible quest we want to make sure we're uncovering every section of the Bible Um, So, Joe, in your own words, before we even get into the events of Judges 17 through 21, what would be your initial thoughts on some chapters like this? Oh, wow.
0: Um, uh, Yeah, so you've got chapters kind of like Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. Um, uh, You know, you have the, uh, the, the story of Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you know, there's the, the time frame of Ahab and Jezebel or their daughter Athaliah. You know, there's some, there's some dark times in the, the Bible stories. But the last five chapters of Judges is just really paints a, a very negative
1: picture of what's going on amongst what should be God's people. And it, it's really, I think, recorded recorded in a way that it's clearly history. I mean, the Bible, people say it's propaganda sometimes, but these chapters are not good propaganda, if that's what it is. I mean, these paint a picture of people who spit in God's face, don't care about him. And the recurring theme through these five chapters is everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, as well as a few times it'll say that there was no king in the land. There was no king in the land. Kind of saying, you know, there was no, it was kind of anarchy. Everyone was doing what they wanted to do. Um, So Judges 17 through 21, like we said, is the last five chapters of Judges. We call it the appendix of the book of Judges because from Judges 1 all the way through 16, it's kind of chronological. It kind of goes from this judge to the next, working through 12 judges in total. Um, And then Abimelech's in there as well. And it ends with these five chapters that can kind of be sprinkled in some different sections of the book of Judges. And it's really just there to communicate to us how bad off this generation had gotten. And, uh, there's really two main storylines to follow in these five chapters. The first one obviously is in chapters 17 and 18, and it follows the story of, uh, of a guy named Micah. And, uh, Joe, do you remember what the name Micah means? Who is like Jehovah, right? That's right. That's what it means. Who is like Jehovah. And so, I think that's kind of ironic that that's how this story begins is with a guy like, well, who is like Jehovah? But uh, what you read about Micah in in chapter 17 and verse one, he says that there was a man from the hill country of Ephraim named Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1100 pieces of silver taken from you. And that I had you place or heard you place a curse on here's the silver. I took it. So the very first story about Micah is that he's a thief. He's not just any thief. He, he stole from his mom. Yeah. Doesn't get much worse than that, does it? The, the steal no. from your mama. Uh, wow. Yeah. And he finds out there's this curse that's been placed on it. And so I, maybe worried, he goes and he returns it. But at the end of verse two, it says that uh, his mother said, My son, may you be blessed by the Lord. I think he realizes, Oh, no, I've placed a curse on the wrong person. And. You might think, well, that's it, right, Joe? Like, maybe that's just the end of the story. only there were two verses. Yes. Uh, Why don't you take it from here, Joe? Just kind of talk us through it.
0: Yeah, so she then takes that 1,100 pieces of silver and uh, creates some images, some some idols uh, out of that. And um, uh, then uh, Micah creates a shrine in verse 5, consecrates his sons to become a priest, Um uh, and so you, we're just going further, idolatry, uh, perversion of the priesthood, Um it, it it just gets worse and worse as we go along, you know, the thievery was one thing, but now, uh, by the time we get to uh, the end of verse 5, it's just painted a, a picture of, looks quite like
1: paganism, right? Yeah, and at this point, The priests, I guess, are for hire, which from my understanding of Leviticus, that's really not how that was supposed to work. But this uh, priest who remains unnamed, if I'm correct, I don't think he's ever named specifically, but he was a a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. Um, He comes through. He had left his homeland. He was looking for a place to stay. And once he meets Micah, Micah says to him in verse 10, Stay with me and be my father and priest, and I will give you four ounces of silver a year, along with your clothing and provisions. So the Levite went in and agreed to stay with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in Micah's house. Um, And what is just the biggest slap in the face is verse 13. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me. Because a Levite has become my priest. This is here to communicate to us how far Israel is from God at this point. They have no clue what his will is. Yeah. And we may, I think that there's a hint in
0: this text the fact that this Levite is sojourning, traveling, as you said, kind of for hire probably an indication that they aren't being taken care of back home as well as we read about the uh, the establishment of the, the the Levitical cities in the book of Joshua and so forth. This is an indictment against the the nation, not just this one family.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, and so, uh, again, verse 6, sorry, I meant to highlight this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And that kind of shows, I mean, they're making at this point kind of their own religion. Um, And there's some points to be made out of this. Joe, would you say Micah was a sincere guy? Um, uh, Wow. Uh, I'm not sure how to answer that one. Um,
0: So, I mean, the the things that he says, you know, um, uh, you you get
1: this picture that he thinks that he's right with God. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I kind of get a sincere feeling from him. I mean, he he did what was right, he returns his mom's money, and then what he says at the end of verse 13, oh, well, now the Lord's gonna be good with me. I got a priest. It seems like there could be some sincerity. Like you said, that is that is a difficult question to answer. But what do we know that sincerity does not make you right? Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, the decisions that he's making
0: aren't based upon God's revealed word to to that point. Certainly not. Uh, So, yeah, you're right. You know, no matter how good hearted he seems to be, both by returning the money and as you quoted verse 13, you know, a person can say that that doesn't make it true.
1: Yeah. So the the story continues into chapter 18. Was there anything else you wanted to say? about Let me I I don't know how much you want to go into this now, but
0: uh, I want to think a little bit about that. Verse six, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sure, so we're dealing with the time period of the judges, and you mentioned Abimelech, you know, he was kind of a self appointed king, very short lived, uh, and probably only regional, not over the whole nation. But when we turn our attention to after the judges and we get to the United Kingdom, you get to the kingdom of Saul, people were still kind of doing, you know, and particularly Saul, he was kind of doing what he wanted. I'm curious what your take might be, and I know there's different views on this, but there was no king in Israel. When we studied the time period of the kings, there were some good kings and the nation did what was right. But usually, for the most part, when there were kings, the people were still doing what was right in their own eyes. Do you take this king as maybe this statement maybe being a reflection on uh, Yahweh being their king, thinking back, uh, thinking ahead to 1 Samuel 8, when they want a physical king, who is it that they're rejecting? They're rejecting Yahweh. And so there's no king in Israel. In other words, they are not submitting to the authority of the capital K-I-N-G, King, the, the Lord.
1: Yes. No, I, I think that's right. And there was also, it's really interesting when you read through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, There was an interesting connection between whoever the king was and what the priesthood was doing Mm -hmm. they were always interworking together and closely tied to one another yeah um sometimes for good sometimes for bad and then of course there was Isaiah who tried to merge those two concepts and that didn't go so well for him Mm -hmm. but i think maybe this verse is also an indication of no one's on the same page there's no authority there's none of that is happening Right. but yeah i take the king aspect uh especially to be god should have been the one being the king especially when you tied into first samuel eight yeah. yeah because and and i think of first samuel nine in the consecration i believe also the lord re- reiterates it there and says they they've rejected me from being their king yeah good point. good point yeah great point so so in chapter 18 to joe's point it says it again in verse one in those days there was no king in israel and it tells us about the danite tribe so joe the danite tribe this is where jeff really gets excited he's good with the maps they had initially been given territory in the southern part of the 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 land correct yeah Yeah. just north of judah right yeah and so um apparently they're they're unhappy about that and they want to they want more territory to occupy um and uh in verse 2, it says that the Danites sent out five brave men from all their clans, from Zora and Eshelah, to scout out the land and explore it. And they told them, go explore the land. And so they come into the hill country of Ephraim. And guess whose home they run into? They run into Micah's. And when they're there spending the night, they hear the accent of this Levite. And they recognize he is not from here. He is not a native of Ephraim. He has to be from somewhere else. And so they ask him where he's from. And so he tells him the whole story. And it's it's almost comical the way he says it in verse four. This is what Micah has done for me. He has hired me, and I became his priest. Just again, so so sounds so pagan. I mean, that's not at all how it works, but that that's what he's made it out to be. And then the hilarious part that sounds funny to us, but listen to what the Danites do in verse five. They say to him, please inquire of God for us to determine if we will have a successful journey. So this guy who has hired himself out to be a priest, now they're inquiring of him. Well, surely this guy's with the Lord. And the priest says in verse 6, go in peace. The Lord is watching over the journey you are going on. It's it's laughable that none of them are following God's plan. This priest certainly isn't. And so the five men continue on their journey and go to Laish. and. There, they scout out some land that they think will be easy pickings. Is that is that probably a good way to summarize that? Yeah, that's right. All the way back in chapter
0: one, the Danites had been forced out of the land that they were given by God. They, the Amorites had forced them up into the mountains. So not good land for, for agriculture or for living. And so now they're going to go and look for, rather than fight for the land that God told them to take, they're going to go and look for easier ways of living here. And, and yeah. let me just, just note that the Danites, the the, the nation of Dan, you know, um, they were the worst, uh, if I could say that. Uh, yeah. You know, even by the time you get, yeah, Dan is just always the worst. Um, by the time you get to the book of Revelation and you have the, the tribes that are mentioned by twelve thousands in Revelation 7, Dan is the one that's excluded there. It's um, kind of interesting to think about. Dan just kind of represents this tribe of, of that just leaves the Lord and and goes away.
1: Yeah, yeah. The whole storyline of Dan is pathetic. And so they essentially, after they scouted out, this is the place that we want to take. Um, they go back to their land. They tell everybody about it. And they grab 600 Danites down in verse 11 to depart from Zerah and Eshterah armed with weapons of war and they go and camp in Kiriath Jerim jerem and judah in verse 12 and in verse 13 they travel to the hill country of ephraim and arrive at micah's house mm-hmm. and so th- it's a great place to stay the first time around so now they come back with 600 soldiers on their pursuit of this new land and uh joe you want to summarize what happens after that yeah, well the,
0: the five men are like, hey, by the way, here, you know, uh there's uh, uh, idols that's here, and there's a priest that's here, and, and so you know, why don't we take advantage of that? And so they, they turn aside there in verse 15, and the the men and and they decide to to take all of Micah's stuff, the idols, and and to, to steal the priest um uh, from, from Micah's house. And he's going to, you know, they sort of say, uh, which would you rather do serve a family or serve a tribe? And I mean, listen, there, there's a pain increase here, you know, kind of implied. And, uh, so he willingly then goes along with the, the tribe these, these 600, uh, uh, men. Um, I hesitate at saying men they're willing to, to fight against Micah's house, threatening Micah. He, he better be quiet or else there's gonna, you know, there's gonna be trouble. They weren't willing to fight the Amorites um uh, they you know they they won't fight what god t- for what god told them um but they will fight with micah
1: yeah and and so the story ends with dan setting up a carved image for themselves in verse 30 um jonathan son of gershom son of moses his his sons were priests for the danite tribe until the time of the exile from the land and they set up for themselves micah's carved image that he had made and it was there as long as the house of god was in shiloh um I mean, it is a wild story and it sounds like something you would hear the pagan nations doing. They've made their own religion is what they've done. They've made their own God. They've made their own priests at this point. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And I do think that there are some tremendous lessons to learn from the Danite tribe in this chapter. First off, they they have completely missed out on their parents' generation who have said as for me and for my house we will serve the lord yeah that's clearly not their their mantra as a family they have departed from that they're long away from that at this point point. and i think that's a helpful thing for us to think about is that we are if we if we do not determine to make the lord the center of our homes the generation after us and the generation after that and the generation after that is just a step further and further and further away from Yahweh. And that also kind of speaks to the aspect of worship. I don't know, Joe, if some of these applications are are too far-fetched to make, but do we not see people doing with religion today similar to what Micah, or Micah and then the Danites kind of did for themselves? Well, I just feel like this is something God would want. And I'm being really sincere in my motives and I'm going to get myself a preacher and uh, I'm going to I'm going to get myself some kind of God, something, some something to serve and kind of make it all up on the fly. And as long as we have warm hearts about it, and as long as we're nice to people as we do it, it doesn't really matter. But that's far from the truth. Um, And uh, the, the Danites and Micah, I think, teach that lesson really well.
0: Yeah, in, in, indeed. Uh, Any time that we begin to follow the course of least resistance, you know, I think Dan is is doing that. They won't fight against the real enemy, the Amorites, but they're more than willing to go to battle against their brethren, Micah. Um, and you know, you, you really just got a case of of two groups that are wrong, Micah and his family, and the Danites. The Danites are maybe more wrong. I don't know. Um, uh, more accountable as a as a as a full tribe, but uh, just. Wow, what what a commentary on God's people. And I almost feel like I need to put air quotes there when I say God's people, um, because they are just not acting at all like that. And so, again, fast-forwarding to 1 Samuel 8, when they, they want a king like all the other nations, that's not a shock. If we've been reading the Bible chronologically, that's not a shock when we get there, because they're acting like the other nations already.
1: Yes, yes, they really are. Well, that that very point, Joe, it carries over into the next story, which carries from Judges 19 to 21. And uh, it centers around a pretty horrific event that rivals and is, if not worse, to read than the events of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll make some of those parallels when we get there. But um, again, chapter 19, verse 1 begins with, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And there was a levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of ephraim who acquired a woman from Beth- bethlehem in judah as his concubine so again no king in the land we're introduced to a different levite now this is a different story and he has a concubine well in verse two we're told that she was unfaithful to him and left him for her father's house in bethlehem in judah and she was there for four months and in verse three her husband got up followed her uh and followed her to speak kindly to her and bring her back and he and his servant with him and a pair of donkeys so she brought him to her father's house and when the girl's father saw him he gladly welcomed him and his father-in-law the girl's father detained him and he stayed with him for three days they ate, drank and spent the nights there so again kind of similar i guess to chapter 17 it actually sounds like a good story at the start uh, here is this woman who has been unfaithful to her husband and he doesn't get angry. He under the old law actually could have had her killed for this. Um, but instead he has all the intentions in the world it sounds like to go back and get her and to bring her back. He's going to speak kindly to her. He it looks like he brings um, uh, they brought a pair of donkeys at the end of verse three or in the middle of verse three. The girl's father was nice to him probably thankful that he wasn't going to have her killed if i had to guess mm-hmm. but joe the story kind of takes a turn doesn't it
0: yeah let, let me just mention uh, this, here your take on this you know both of these t- stories um uh, are dealing with a tribe you know the danites later on the benjamites uh in the second story but also both of them deal with levites and to me that's just really striking that that were particularly the, the writer, you know, probably hundreds, thousands of stories were occurring during these days of the judges, but we want to zero in on if the Levites are doing this, then just imagine where the rest of the nation is. You know, the Levites were supposed to be the people that were the closest servants to the Lord. Uh, you know, the priest had responsibilities for the sacrifices so. But also for teaching the people, Leviticus 10, 2 Chronicles 15, uh, a few other passages. Um, but instead of teaching the people, they're leading, you know, they're they're there's some of the leaders that are going astray in these things.
1: Yes. Uh similar reasons Jesus uses a priest and a Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan. Great connection. Thanks. Yeah, I like yeah. that. So so in verse five, it's the fourth day, and they get up early to go home and the father-in-law gives him another meal they drink together and he actually um let's see here verse six they sat down and the two of them ate and drank together then the girl's father said to the man please agree to stay overnight and enjoy yourself the man got up to go but his father-in-law persuaded him and he stayed there and spent the night there again sorry that was the piece i was missing so it's on the fifth day that they wake up and a key part of this is at the end of verse eight they wait until the afternoon they eat and then they leave. So they're leaving pretty close to nighttime at this point and they go on their way. Uh No, man. Yep. Did yep. They? No, no, no. Yeah. They go on their way in verse 10. This father-in-law so convincing. He got me confused. Um, in verse 10, they, they don't stay the night again and they go on their way and they arrive opposite of Jerusalem. And in verse 11, when they get near, The servant said to his master please why not let us stop at this jebusite city and spend the night here and the levite responds and says we're we're not going to stop at a foreign city where there are no israelites let's move on to gibeah so it's kind of a helpful note to remember joe um israel did not take over jerusalem until the days of david correct yeah. 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 David uh, sent his army up in the second Samuel five. I'm just
0: going off memory there um, uh, where they where they conquered Jebus. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so uh, but we've all done this. We've been we've all been on the road. Let's just get a little bit further down for you know X, Y, or Z reason. And let's get on down to Gibeah or Ramah. And so they continue on their way. They get closer to Gibeah and they decide to stay the night there. And the story it just starts to turn dark really quickly well we, we need to get to this
0: next town because that's where God's people are we don't want to stop here in Jebus where these foreigners are these pagans you know and that the, again it it just paints such a dark picture you said earlier that this this would be horrible propaganda to say hey you want to become a Jew uh look at the history look look at the what is chronicled here
1: yes exactly and Sure enough, they get there. And at the end, of verse 15, the Levite goes down. He sits in the city square, but no one took them into their home to spend the night. And in the evening, an old man came in from his work in the field, and he was from the hill country of Ephraim. So how how ironic, right? I mean, this yeah. that's where the Levite was from. And uh, it, down in verse um. 17 he looked up and saw the traveler in the city square and the old man asked what where are you going and where do you come from and so the levite tells him where he's from and where they're going and uh in verse uh 20 welcome says the old man i'll take care of everything you need only don't spend the night in the square so he brought him to his house and fed the donkeys then they washed their feet and ate and drank And while they were enjoying themselves, all of a sudden, wicked men of the city surrounded the house and beat on the door. And they said to the old man who was the owner of the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. And the owner of the house went out and said to them, please don't do this evil, my brothers. After all, this man has come into my house. Don't commit this horrible outrage here. Let me bring out my virgin daughter and the man's concubine now and abuse them and do whatever you want to them. But don't commit this outrageous thing against this man so joe is this ringing any bells does this sound familiar at all uh yeah i mean this is a sodomite ish place right yeah that's right i mean it sounds just like that same story of those men of god who go and they're in the city square and then lot pulls them into their into his house and says you can't stay out there you got to stay in here and then the men come knocking on the door because they want to have the men but then Lot offers up his daughters, right? Um, yep. His virgin daughters, instead. But they keep pounding on the door and 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 so forth and so on. But the biggest difference here is that the concubine ends up getting sent out in verse twenty-five, and the men seize her. And my translation says that they rape her and abuse her all night right. until morning. And at daybreak, they let her go. Just a horrible, horrible thing to think about.
0: And uh, from every vantage point, you know, um, from the owner to uh, the 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 man, the, the husband, uh, the the people of the city. Um, I, I think about sometimes we read headlines today and of the horrific things whether it's what happened in uh, uh southern israel with the the those that were taken captive and and so forth and and you just you know that is just disgusting to everyone and uh but here to think that these are supposed to be brethren um you know fellow israelites it it just makes it even that much that much sicker
1: Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. And so it doesn't get worse, you know. I mean, imagine being that man whose concubine you went to get back. This has happened to her. The next morning, I mean, just imagine A, trying to sleep that night, probably didn't, but then B, opening the door the next morning. And when he does that, in verse 26, it says, Early that morning, the woman made her way back, and as it was getting light, she collapsed at the doorway of the man's house where her master was in verse 27 when her master got up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to leave on his journey there was the woman his concubine collapsed near the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold get up he told her let's go but there was no response so the man put her on his donkey and sent out for home joe i think the assumption there is then that she she was dead She had died, and I, uh, I had, I got to teach this section to our high schoolers here, here at our congregation a few weeks ago, and I'll, I'll say on here what I said to them, if they didn't read ahead, nothing can prepare you for what we're about to read next. Um, I don't think anyone could have guessed what he does. Right. But he enters his house when he gets home. He picks up a knife takes hold of his concubine and cuts her body up into 12 pieces, limb by limb and sends her throughout the whole territory of Israel. And everyone who saw it said nothing like this has ever happened or has been since the day the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt until now, think it over, discuss it and speak up. Joe only one question, right? Why? It's uh, certainly trying to provoke a, a response from the people, right? I think so. I think that's the idea. I think this Levite is trying to communicate in a very, very vivid and inappropriate way how bad things have gotten in Israel at this point. Right. And it would be an effective message, no doubt. Um, and so chapter 20 kind of picks up from there. Do you want to say anything about chapter 19 or, and then take us into 20.
0: Uh, well maybe, I don't know if we want to touch on, do you have in your notes or thoughts about, uh, what Hosea has to say about Gibeah?
1: No, I don't. I'd love to hear it.
0: So it's kind of interesting to think about in Hosea. Uh, he mentions Gibeah and Ramah with two of those cities that the, that the man had mentioned. He mentioned those in chapter five, uh, forgot the verse now about verse eight or so. Um, uh, uh, yeah and Gibeah the trumpet in Ramah but then you get over to chapter nine and is as Hosea is trying is God trying to describe the the northern nation of Israel and and how they were uh, connecting them with Hosea um he says in uh, verse eight, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fouler snare in all his ways and enmity in the house of his God. they are deeply corrupted. As in the days of Gibeah, he will remember their iniquity; he will punish their sins. we I think about as in the days of Gibeah. You know, Gibeah is talked about a couple of more times. You know, that's the city that uh, uh, we're, we're we're dealing with, right? Um, in uh, well uh first samuel is that the same gibeah that uh that Saul rescues i'm going to draw a blank there if i'm not i'm not quite sure on that one but
1: first samuel nine yeah yeah uh 9 10
0: 11 um uh yeah that's the gibeah uh of um it should be yeah um and so but like as he's comparing them in a negative fashion like judges 19 i think is about the only place that we would make that connection um, uh, and so he's saying, you know, Gibeah was correct, corrupt like, uh, Israel's corrupt like Gibeah was, and God's going to remember them and uh, and punish them. So we're, we're seeing where Gibeah is headed, I think, based upon what Hosea, how Hosea references them. God's yeah. going to remember their iniquity yeah. and punish them. So, sorry, there. I didn't want to get too far off on that, but just no, uh, no, strikes me that the prophets will use Gibeah kind of like they used Sodom and, and you made that connection earlier
1: yeah so so here's the thing about this story you're at, you're left asking well what's Israel going to do about this yeah how, how how does a nation deal with something like this and they deal with it exactly the way you would think a nation who has no king and is doing everything right in their own eyes does is that fair to say yeah yeah it is it is yeah so you want to summarize chapter 20? Sure. So the the body
0: pieces are are, are distributed or mailed out, and people come together. Uh, chapter twenty and verse two. There's four hundred thousand foot soldiers who drew the sword. Um, Benjamin's heard about this. Uh, they've gone up. The children of Israel, then the nation of Israel, versus Benjamin is what's going to happen. Um, uh, and uh, the 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 Levite tells the story to to those warriors and he says here we are now what do you want us to do and so they're we're going to go up and we're going to attack them and we're going to absolutely annihilate them we're going to destroy them completely um uh, and uh so the men of israel gather together and uh, they begin to fight against benjamin um uh, what well, we've got down about verse 14 uh instead the children of benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of israel so Benjamites are not going to allow Gibeah to be attacked. And from their cities, they have 26,000 men who drew the sword. Uh, 700 of them um, were marksmen with the slingshot. Um, uh, I'll just mention verse 16 is a great reminder. I'm going to use the the great reminder not to mess with left-handed people. Um, uh, You know, uh, just throw that in there for free. Um, uh, But... uh, they're, they're so outnumbered, 400,000 to 26,000, maybe 26,700. And uh, so they're going to be able to defeat them quite easily, right? Well, maybe not. The children of Israel rose up and camped against them. Benjamin comes out to fight against them. Verse 21, the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah, and on that day cut down on the, to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. So it's 26,000 versus 400,000. But at the, after the first day's battle, the 400,000 now has been reduced by 22,000. And uh, so Israel, God clearly isn't with Israel. You know, he's not going to be with Gibeah. Benjamin's defending Gibeah. God's not going to be with Benjamin. But also the nation. you know, God's not blessing the, the nation as they fight against this, this evil. But they're not doing it with God's blessing here. Um, the next day they go out. And another 18,000 of the Israelites are killed in verse 25. Uh, boy, numbers are, are dropping here. I mean, this is pretty uh, amazing to think that that many hundreds of thousands and they can't beat 26,000. So
1: finally,
0: what happens in verse 26?
1: Yeah. So they finally decide to go ask God what they should do.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is the verse that's been missing throughout this whole story, right? Uh, you know, let's find out what God says about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so they, they actually fast and then they approach Phineas in verse 28. Um, Phineas, uh, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron was serving before it. And they ask, should we again fight against our brothers, the Benjamites, or should we stop? And the Lord answers and says, fight because I will hand them over to you tomorrow. So on the third day, they go up against the benjamites and um uh they end up setting a trap right yeah. it says yeah they they essentially draw them away and the end result um at, at the end of verse 35 the verse the lord defeated benjamin in the presence of israel and on that day the israelites slaughtered twenty five thousand one hundred men of benjamin yeah all were armed, and the benjamites realized that they had been defeated um and so it leaves benjamin virtually wiped out yeah. uh, j- just nearly
0: they, they 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 pull from the military playbook of uh,
1: uh ai um
0: back in the yeah
1: before. yeah that's a good i hadn't thought about that yeah that's a really good point um but uh yeah it, it's it's it is a really sad uh so verse 46 all the benjamites who died that day were 25,000 armed men, all were warriors, but 600 men escaped into the wilderness to rim and rock and stayed there four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the other Benjamites and killed them with their swords and the entire city, the animals and everything that remained. And they also burned all the cities that remained. But the story's not over, is it, Joe?
0: It is not. Uh, you know, wow. They've pretty much
1: decimated, you know, destroyed one of God's tribes. Yeah. Well, in the next chapter, they recognize that there's a remnant of the Benjamites left and they all swear an oath together and they say, none of our daughters are allowed to marry the men of Benjamin. Does that sum it up pretty well? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they, 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 they've made that oath. And now what are they
0: going to do? Because those men are uh, are single and what's going to happen to the tribe of Benjamin, it's going to disappear
1: yeah and so in verse six they feel some compassion there my translation says they it says the Israelites had compassion on their brothers but it's again it's so they've dug themselves a hole they're like well what what are we going to do we've sworn and we've said that we will not allow any of our daughters to marry into this tribe um and so they ask in verse eight what city among the tribes of israel did not come to the lord at mizpah Basically saying, who didn't come here and make the same agreement with us? Uh, and it turns out that Jabesh Gilead, um, right? Jabesh Gilead yeah. had not come to the meeting. Right, <laughs> they missed the notice or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they're on the other side of the uh, the, the Jordan River. And so, right, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, they send twelve thousand people, twelve thousand brave soldiers there, and tell them, um, "Go and kill the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the sword." including women independence, And this is what you should do completely destroy every male, as well as every woman who has gone to bed with a man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, 400 young virgins who had not been intimate with a man. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. And so Joe, they think that their problem has been solved right now. We have enough virgins, but wait, what happens?
0: Oh, it, it, it just does not, um, uh, it does not get any better, right? Um, yeah.
1: So, what is it? They, they don't have enough women right. to make up for all the men. And so, in verse uh, 16, the elders of the congregation say, What should we do about the wives for those who are left, since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? Yeah. And they said, They must be heirs for the survivors of Benjamin. Uh, there must be heirs of survivors of Benjamin so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out but we can't give them our daughters as wives for the Israelites had sworn. Anyone who gives a wife of Benjamin is cursed. Um, So it's down in verse 20, uh, verse 20 that they commanded the Benjamites go and hide in the vineyards, watch. And when you see the young women of Shiloh come out to perform the dances, each of you leave the vineyards and catch a wife for yourself from the young women of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers and brothers come to us and protect us, uh, it, it, to us in protest excuse me we will tell them show favor to them since we did not give enough wives for each of them in the battle uh, you didn't actually give the women to them so you were not guilty of breaking your oath so they find a loophole loophole in the their own oath that they had made basically go snatch them and then you're not breaking the law yeah yeah go go kidnap
0: now um yeah steal steal these uh, these daughters from uh, these men who are doing what? Holding a feast to the Lord. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's just so dark. And, uh, you know, the people that are trying to do good, that are holding a yearly feast to the Lord at Shiloh, their daughters are going to be kidnapped and taken away.
1: Um, uh, yeah. It's every part of the story. And so that, that's what they do. It says the Benjamites go out and do that. And in verse 24, at that time, each of the Israelites returned from there to his own tribe and family. Each returned from there to his own inheritance. It's almost like they're saying, okay, got that done. You know, we're done. We, we did it the right way. Thank goodness that's behind us. And it ends in verse 25. Within those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And at that point, we're kind of like, well, no kidding. Clearly, everyone. So Joe, it makes us ask the question here. We're in our last three minutes. Where's the application for us? Why are these five chapters recorded for us? We knew it was bad from Judges 1 through 16. Why record 17 through 21 for us? So we've read a lot about the the particulars of the tribes
0: as a whole, Going through, you know, that they did what was—they did evil in the sight of the Lord in those early first sixteen chapters. Now we're looking at some specifics of the the character of the people and what they're doing, and the and the lack of leadership on on
1: everybody's part as well. I happen to hear other thoughts, other applications you've got there. Yeah, just thinking about what, not, and I don't want to make the application necessarily to like America or a nation. I just think it's good to think about God's people. So think about God's people where you are. Amen. Every second or every time we get further and further off from what God has asked us to do, and we start consulting our own wisdom and leaning on our own understanding, we get a step and step and a step closer to what we're reading in Judges 17 through 21. And it's not something, something to laugh at. I mean, some of it's comical and just the reasoning, but I think to a degree, you see people doing some similar things in religious circles today, making a bad decision because eight bad decisions came before that right. instead of just stopping and inquiring of the Lord and asking him, what do we need to do? Yeah, Amen. Yeah. and And
0: these are not like hidden, obscure commandments or prohibitions. Like, how many of the Ten Commandments are broken in these two stories? I, that's a good point. I had not thought about that. Nearly all of them. I don't know if the Sabbath is talked about or not, but but practically everything, they're not honored. You know, the guy steals from his mom. He's not honoring his mom. There's there's murder. There's adultery. There's, you know, uh, boy, there's, there, there's the idolatry, the bowing down, just all over the place. The, the Ten Commandments, you know, the, the covenant, just completely abandoning that all over the place.
1: Yes. And so there's tremendous lessons for us to learn uh, from looking at sections of the Bible like this that are sometimes challenging to read. Well, we're out of time. Thank you all so much for listening today and uh, Lord willing, we will pick up with everyone next week.